Go for Leadership, the podcast with Daniel and Gerd. So, hello and welcome to today's episode of the Go for Leadership podcast. I'm very pleased to welcome today Blair Shepard. Go for Leadership interviews. Blair, give you a 30 seconds glimpse. Who are you? <laughs> so, Daniel, delighted to be on the call. Um, so I'm nominally the global leader of strategy and leadership for PricewaterhouseCoopers around the world, PwC around the world, um, and uh, got there by being a professor my entire life, setting up what was at one time the largest leadership development activity in the world, and then became dean of the business school at the university I was at. And I'm a granddad and a husband and a happy father. Cool. Happy to, to be with you today. And you. like we always start, how would you describe or how would you define uh, leadership? What does leadership mean to you personally? <laughs> so I've been teaching leadership my entire life. And the longer I'm at it, the less sure I am, I know what it is. <laughs> um, so, so in simple terms, um, leadership uh, is causing doing whatever is essential to cause people to go in a direction that's beneficial for themselves and the community of which they're a part. So um, as you are also uh, teaching and you say uh, it, it's much more complicated uh, uh, or let's say much more diverse than, than you maybe um, have, have teached before. So how, how did or how did uh, leadership and the de definition of it evolve throughout your, your life? So do you think that, that you have defined leadership before differently than now? So, so essentially, if you think about where leadership started as a construct, it started two places, right? It started in kind of the management literature and management theory around how do you get people to do what you want them to do? It was essentially leadership is persuasion, right? Mm -hmm. And it started in kind of the political science or public policy literature as um, what does it take to be an effective political character, right? Um, those merged, I guess, about uh, 30 years ago. We started writing the same thing. But, but the, the issue in part, and this is why I say I'm, I'm less and less sure, the challenge of the persuasion model is it doesn't ask the question, am I taking you places you should go or not, right? Um, so... So you can think of leaders in the history of your country, and I can think of leaders in the history of my country. So I grew up in Canada and live in the United States, where they took us places they shouldn't have. I, you could call them a good leader by definition of persuasion. Probably not, right? Because, because where, whether it's for the interests of the community they're serving to lead matters a lot. In the political sphere, um, the challenge with the work there is essentially it, it, it doesn't entail kind of vision enough. It's more about how you get aggregations to be able to go somewhere, right? Work on things like look at the look at the dance from the balcony is is a perspective on vision, but there's not enough of how do you decide of the future you're trying to co-create with people. And so in part, I think the reason I say I'm less sure every year is that the starting the starting premises behind leadership were incomplete. And therefore um, we need to make them richer, more interesting. Um, and, and I would add, uh, so just that's, that's enough for now. Yeah, mm -hmm. We'll do more later. So uh, I, I think that's a very interesting perspective. And normally I, I, I would ask now, um, and I'm asking you, can you uh, describe a, a perfect leader or a role model of a leader in your view? 
Are there? Um, so I think the challenge is that different contexts require different leaders. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, so just a real example, what we needed in COVID mm-hmm. isn't what we needed in different time periods. What we needed after the Second World War is not what we need now. What we need in leading a startup is not the same as we need in leading a uh, $50 billion enterprise. They're just different. They're different contexts. And so there are characteristics they share in common. All great leaders share in common, right? Um, Simple things like um, they're self-aware. They probably have some pretty serious empathy. They're values-based. But but when you when you unpack that and then say what else do they share in common? Context matters, right? And and context at two levels, both the particular circumstance the leader's leading in, but also the world we're in at a given point in time. So the argument I would make right now is we need a radically different kind of leader today than we did 20 years ago. Um, but because the times are different. I like and I think that's a complete new picture that that we have never discussed in in before's episodes of course yes there are dif- different definitions but of course there are also different styles and types of leaders and you require difference in, in different settings and, and, and situations so um, if we touch uh, corona uh, would you or could you describe what time uh, what kind of skills would be required in uh, for a leader a good leader in in times of corona yeah, let me give you let me give you two that really are critical. Um, and it's worth people on the podcast think about someone they thought did a brilliant job during COVID and just see if I get it right. The person they're describing, um, uh, they're thinking about. So, so one of them is in in the, in COVID, we didn't really know the problem very well, and that's going to be increasingly true in the future for all problems. Right? We just don't know them well. And so what a good leader did was they were humble enough to recognize what they didn't know and sought lots of input, right? So they talked to epidemiologists, they talked to public health people, they talked to business people, they talked to leaders in civil society, they talked to politicians, they talked to psychologists about what's going to work, right, not work. And I promise when they got all the input, they had no idea what the right answer was because there wasn't an obvious answer, right? Um, But they had the courage to act knowing that doing something was more important than doing nothing. So they took a kind of 70, 80% best guess and acted, right? Um, And then knowing they were gonna get massively criticized, by the way, every one of the people who did that got huge criticism from some quarter because there wasn't an obvious answer, right? Um, and then they were humble enough again to sort of go back and understand how they got it wrong and then correct course. So, so one characteristic you could think of as either kind of definitive empathy or the phrase we would use as humble hero right? um, there, um, as a characteristic. That's to me the most important piece. And I think it's very hard to find those kind of skills. So um, would you say that demands or the requirements for a leader for a leader maybe 20 years ago are are let's say less or or yeah less let's say this way than than they are now because i mean we are now living in a time where there's very a lot of uncertainties right um yeah yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I think the, the issue is they're different. I mean, I don't think it was easy to lead after the Second World War, frankly. It was hard. To, to pull the world out of what it had done to itself was a hard thing. I don't think it was easy building multilaterals. You think about what happened in Bretton Woods and what followed that. That was hard work, really difficult leadership problem, right? I don't think it was easy integrating China and India into the global economy. It wasn't easy, right? Um, and so you, you can't look back on leaders and say they weren't bad, they weren't good. They were right for their times. I think what you're seeing is that the, that the macro context we're operating in is completely different from five or 10 years ago. And therefore, the way we prepared leaders is wrong. I mean, not wrong for then, but wrong for now. The problem is the people running the place were prepared as if the world was still the same. And But it's changed. And so we have this issue of the wrong people on top, I guess, is a one way to describe it. I think that's a very interesting uh, um, area where exactly also this podcast tries to help um, how we can train, enable leaders to actually evolve. Because like you said, right, I mean, and, and yeah. most likely in future, the requirements will uh, also switch completely. Um, we never yes. know, right? That That's yes. the uncertain piece of it. Yes. So how get we our leaders trained, enabled to... Um, to be great leaders, because I mean, I, yes. I'm uh, I'm a strong believer that, that you are not by nature born as a great leader. You also need to get into the position to show about and and to foster your skills and 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 uh, keep the momentum. Yeah. Let's say. Yeah, if I think about conversation you and I had before the podcast, right? I think really good leaders. If you think about you know a central attribute again across all history. They were self-reflective and they focused on getting better every day, right? Um, and uh, that's true about great people, period. Right? So, so if you think about the attributes that make a great leader that are common across time, they're probably pretty consistent to people who just achieve across time, right? Uh, or are great citizens across time. But if you get to the, the point you're describing, there are moments in history where there's a radical shift in the larger context, right after the book was published, is an example. Right. Um, the Renaissance is another example um, where what we need as a leader is completely different from what we needed just a year or two years earlier. And, and that transition is hard for society to make because the people on top are the best of the breed of the kind of leader we needed. Not that we need going forward, but we need it. So, so a real requirement for people in those roles is to recognize that and grow. That's kind of hard to do as a 50, 60, 70-year-old, you know, it's, just, it's not easy, but, but we're asking them to. But the other piece is to create some space for other leaders to emerge underneath them, right? Um, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting transition problem we're in right now. So um, with that having said, um, I mean, do you think it is possible to, to transform your style completely and let's say um, transform yourself. I mean, in particular, of course, if you are already adult and you have a certain, let's say, style and a certain um, uh, life done, but do you think that it's really possible to change your style oh, completely? Yeah. I, I don't know that you can change your style. I mean, you know, I talk like I talk. That's not going to stop, mm -hmm. right? Um, I dress the way I dress. I could change it, but I wouldn't feel very comfortable, right? And, and so if you think about style, we kind of overemphasize the word style too much in leadership, right? Because mm -hmm. you can be effective as a leader and be very, very, very different stylistically, right? I mean, there's this interesting statistic that 
more corporate CEOs are introverts than extroverts, even though the CEO's job is an extrovert's job. The reason is they have to, the, the introvert will go back and reflect occasionally and sort of say, so what's this all about, right? Where the extrovert just stays in the moment with people. Um, that's a style change for an introvert, big style change, but they still are introverted, right? They're not going to stop being introverted. So um, I think the important point is you need to adapt the things you have to adapt. And, and in some ways it's your focus, it's your frame, um, it's the, it's your operating method even more than your operating style that you have to change. Um, and I think clearly people can, and we have, we have no choice by the way, because we, um, so I'll give you an, I'll give you a simple example, right? Um, a leader today has to be a technology savvy humanist. The reason is if you don't understand technology, you're irrelevant. And if you don't know what technology is doing to people, you cause harm. Mm -hmm. Give you tons of examples. What just happened in the U S Congress is an example of technology causing harm. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and so, and it's all over the world. Right. So you need to have both of those things. Now, if you think about college universities, right. Most, people through university became electrical engineers or PhD in biologists. They became technologists or they became political scientists, sociologists, psychologists, management people, right? Um, they weren't both. Well, too bad. You got to be both. And um, so, so can a 60 year old learn how to do what you and I are doing and learn how AI works? Of course. Can, right. Um, can, uh, can a person who's a technologist teach themselves how to be a, a really great humanist? Of course they can. I think Bill Gates is a great example of that, right? Who was a real, real techie geek who became a pretty serious student of human behavior and, and political systems. And, and so, of course you can do it. And um, you just have to decide you have to. You, you have to be self-aware enough and contextually aware enough to know that what you're now doing won't work. Yeah, and I think the the percentage, and maybe you know it at best. I'm sure that there are studies out there about uh, leaders there that are adaptable, and of course, leaders that maybe fail because they have not been evolved. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can, can there you are lots on those. About, there's, there's lots of work on adaptive leadership, right? And and um, it's generally conclusive that adaptive leadership is essential. I I think there's an important point there. I'll go back to context. For 30, 40 years, up until about five years ago, um, the world was in a pretty comfortable state of equilibrium. We didn't really need adaptive leaders. Mm -hmm. We needed good leaders for that moment. The world's in a pretty serious set of changes right now um, and has some pretty massive threats. I mean, existential threats. That will, that will become increasingly dynamic over time and increasingly interdependent. We need a different kind of leader today, right? Um, will that settle down and achieve equilibrium again? Your guess is as good as mine. It usually does. There's usually cycles, but I don't know this time, actually, because we keep compounding our capability, right? Moore's law keeps applying in different contexts. Um, but, uh, but, but now is what we need a different kind of leader. And um, so I wouldn't say that adaptive leadership is universally good. Back to my point, which is context matters. Two kinds, though. What's going on in the world at large, and therefore what we need of leaders in general, and what's happening in the particular circumstance you're trying to lead in in the moment. Because there are moments of equilibrium going on now where we need a very stable, traditional, kind of hierarchical leader, and we've always needed 
So, I mean, I, I hate to generalize, but uh, of course, uh, as you have a global role and global responsibility, I'm sure you have been in, in many different societies and contexts and as well as um, countries. Do you think that there are certain, let's say, cultural um, advantages um, out there to, to scope with, with COVID and, and to be, or let's say, to have leaders in, in place um, uh, that are capable to uh, to confront the pandemic better? Yeah, there's this you know wonderful debate going on around is democracy dead, for example, right? Um, uh, and in other illustrations, I think what's really interesting is that you see different places that have done a better job at different phases of COVID. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, what I would say is that culture is one of the co- contextual characteristics you've got to keep in mind. So a style that would work in Germany wouldn't necessarily work in Australia, wouldn't necessarily work in Japan, right? Um, uh, but is one of them better than the other? I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I think there are better leaders. So it's clear, for example, the prime minister of New Zealand did a pretty darn good job through COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Is there something about the New Zealand culture that made that feasible? I just think she was a remarkable leader. And they happen to be an island surrounded by water, so things they could do that other countries couldn't do, right? So, so, so I think that I, I, I know that you know China's no better than the U.S. is no better than Germany. They're different contexts. I, I think that too, uh, but of course, um, I think by being part of different societies and having big different, let's say, learnings, um, you uh, evolve, that's my strong belief, uh, yeah. into a better leader, a more balanced leader. Uh, for example, yeah. I, I I was listening to um, uh, uh, some great leaders that, that have the opinion um, uh, Mark Hurd, for example, um, uh, yeah. where I was working for with HP, he also uh, proclaimed that uh, it is important to work in different areas, to have yes. different yes. Uh, experiences, because once you are on the seat, there will be nobody else to be uh, able to, to ask for advice. So it will be you, you, and only you. Uh, yeah. And to be in that position that everybody looks at you well what we are doing now right covid full uncertainty uh, tell us what yeah. to do um, <laughs> i think that it's very important to have a, a, a very broad picture before and it just helps you to make better decisions i believe yeah so i do think that um breadth of exposure to lots of different classes of problem and lots of different cultural contexts and lots of different contexts is really valuable in developing a leader I think it's absolutely true. Um, you know, we used to have this notion why they do was go live in another country. You may not have to, but you sure have to work with a bunch of them. Right. Um, uh, it's really important if you're, you go back to my argument about technology, technology savvy humanists. If, if you're really good at managing people, you better spend some time with some geeks, right? If you're really good at managing technology, you better spend some time with some world-class politicians, right? So, so essentially, uh, and, and it comes back to an important point in today's world, um, which is there are things that you have to do well that feel mutually contradictory. And most of us will be good at one side of it because it's a thing we know we like, we enjoy. 
right? Um, you actually, the problem is being bad at the compliment is a real Achilles heel. So go back to humble hero for a minute, right? If you're, if you're not humble, you won't seek enough input and you'll misspecify the problem. If you're not heroic, you won't take a decision and you'll waffle. And I can promise you that on this call, everyone on this call will say, I know someone who waffled during COVID and actually made the situation worse. And I know someone who had insufficient humble humility and made the situation worse. You got to do both things, right? Um, there's a really cool book called Range that talks about why is Roger Federer such a great tennis player, right? And, and the answer is he's, he's, he's bad at nothing. That's a very <laughs> different view of leadership, by the way, right? Now, historically, in the, in the age that, that I developed leaders in primarily through my career, the argument we would make is, is play to strength. Mm-hmm. You know, using the talent test analogy, you got a great backhand, really run around and hit your backhand, right? Turns out in today's world, um, mitigate weakness. Very different theory, right? And why? Because we're in a world which is more dynamic, coming at you faster and more ambiguous. And therefore, any, any weakness is a serious Achilles heel in that world against particular dilemmas, not, not everything, but the ones that at least I'd specify six, but others would have their own view. That's a, that's a different requirement. And therefore, it's even more important to have a broad range of experience in today's world than, than historically. I mean, it at least helps, right, to, to bring a lot of stuff into perspective. Yeah. But I think yeah. also a, a great leader is, is, is nothing, of course, with a, with a great team. So, exactly. um, so, uh, and the great team, of course, enriches uh, the perspective, uh, and also, and maybe it's a great uh, uh, idea, right, to to support maybe the weaknesses that you know you have as exactly. a leader. Exactly. So, if you, if you, this is where I get to diversity, right? Which is there's lots of reasons we need to be more diverse. Some of them have to do with sort of the social ills in the world we live in, right? But But from a pure business standpoint, you actually need the people you're not so that they can mitigate your weakness for you. And here's the problem with that, by the way. Okay. Turns out we're bad at something because we're not interested in it. If you liked it and you cared about it, you'd be good at it, right? And so the dilemma is lots of people add people to their team to build out to, to build a complete set of strengths that they don't have. They, they have a really good team that if I took the paradoxes we described, they pass all six perfectly. Right. But um, they don't really care about that thing. So they don't use a person. Right. Right. It, it does no good to have a diverse team if you don't use the diversity. And, and it's, it, and the, so think of it in the following way. It's kind of an odd phrase. You've got to love the thing you hate. I like that, and and I think it's it's completely true if if you reflect the different situations that I have been in, because uh, we are all human beings. We like yeah. it, or we don't like it to accept, yeah. but we are, and of course, yeah. we we just want to do the things that that we like or love, right? It's just so, so. Let me let me give you another example. So one of the things we talk about is high integrity politician, right? A small p, not not big p, right? And and the reason you need to be more political, you got to use persuasion, you've got to form coalitions, you got to do deals, you got to get agreements, right? Uh-huh. The reason for that is that we live in a world that's more multidisciplinary, and the problems are more complex, and therefore you've got to get people with divergent views to agree. And we also live in a world that's more polarized, so you got to get people with divergent views to agree. The danger of that is you lose your integrity, right? Because you spend your time getting a deal, but you forget why you were doing it in the first place. Right? 
Now, here's the issue. People who really have deep integrity and value it, that's who they are. You know, and, and for a lot of them, the notion of being political just just smells really. It's just, I, I don't do that, right? And people who just love doing a deal say, come on, don't bug me with that stuff. I just got to get the deal done, right? And, and so what you need to do is find people who are comfortable with things who just don't feel comfortable. Um, they they got to be able to do both of those things. And, and I'm proud that I'm a deal maker. I'm proud that I've got massive integrity. Yes, and go figure out how to do the compliment, right? Because we need both right now. Um, but of course, I mean, um, it, that comes with a, a big piece, like you said, a skill, which is self-awareness, to be aware yeah. that yes. you have weaknesses and accept yeah. that you have weaknesses and, uh, yes. um, and find people that complement your skills so that you can rely on them, that they will yes. make the best decision for you in the area that yeah. you are feeling weak or that you are weak. Yes. Uh, but usually, uh, let's say what we see out there in the world is that there are leaders that may hire, like you said, people that may uh, sit next and, and next to, to the leader that, that will not complement. They will just be the same, more of the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how would you um, give advice to a leader to, to find then the right people, right? To, to be uh, uh, open and try to complement Great question, by the way. Right. So, so um, go back to your example when you use Mark Hurd as an example, which is when you become a CEO, you're pretty lonely, right? One of the things that happens when you're a CEO is you're protected. Mm-hmm. It's not intentional, but people don't bring you bad news. Very few CEOs have an employee come up to them and say, by the way, you really are terrible at this. Right. It doesn't happen very often, right? Because, because we, we protect them. So the dilemma is the more senior you get in a big organization, right? The harder it is to be self-aware because you're in a bubble, not, not of your making, but of everybody else's making. Right. And, and so it's a, it's a real skill to be a senior leader in particular, if we're talking about senior leaders and be self-aware, but we have no choice because by definition with the world changing as fast as it is, we're all flawed. You know, if I was good 10 years ago, by definition, I'm not what's needed today. If I'm right about the way the world is changing, right? Therefore, the capacity to look in the mirror and get feedback and seek honest input is really important. So I think um, two pieces of advice on that, right? First one is um, get, have one or two people that are close friends or work for you who can actually tell you the truth can say the emperor has no clothes, right? Um, so have a gray hair, if you think of it that way, who mm-hmm. doesn't care about being fired. Does it just, they'll tell you the truth, right? Um, and listen to them. Um, for some people, it's their spouse, right? For other people, but have someone who can do that for you, right? And then the, and then the second one is, um, is really, really, really understand the context and ask yourself what's required of a leader in this context. Sort of let, let the kind of facts drive you to change and let others help you see yourself in the mirror um, and, and listen to the advice. Don't, don't reject the person who says, you're just not doing it right today, kid. I think that uh, uh, it's something that I always told my teams that um, uh, I don't want yes sayers. I actually want the no sayers because they are the only ones that, that put you into the mirror and say, well, you, 
you are on the wrong path. You should rather reflect on this one or should um, yeah. check on, on the other side to make a better decision. Let me do a subtle twist on that if I can though, right? Sure. Um, there are naysayers who are just negative uh, and they destroy right. teams, right? What you're really saying is I want people who are honest. You're right. That's really <laughs> um, and and uh, language matters in this case, right? So, so um, and actually one of the dangers is leaders evoke honesty or not, by the way, uh-huh. right? And, and this is a, in a world as dynamic as ours, another general attribute, the more you behave in a way where people can tell you the truth with impunity, the better off you're going to be. The more you punish them for telling you the truth, the worst you're going to do in today's world, because the, the world is very different every single day. Um, and, and so honesty is a big deal both ways, by the way, both ways. And I think, I mean, always, my saying was trust is the kid between human beings and trust yes. comes from reliability, openness, and uh, being, uh, let's say, direct, uh, giving honest feedback without uh, having or being afraid of uh, any yes. consequence. Yeah. Yeah. And this is uh, actually a gift to have people around you that, that be open and be exactly. honest exactly. with yourself. Exactly. Without, and by the way, efficiently. Right, because one of the things you can't afford in today's world is to be is to spend all your time um, having biscuits and coffee or tea or beer, whatever your favorite um, thing is, and talking about stuff. You actually, you've got to be efficiently open with each other because you've got to move fast as well. Right, um, right. And but, so but also take much. this take this feedback, let's say, and trans translate it in in actions. Because I mean, at exactly. the end, um, exactly. it, it, it's not that much important to to uh, absorb let's say all the feedback and then there's no output so there needs to happening something uh, there needs you to be to, an up, adoption process you have to be different and do different as a result of the feedback you have exactly mm-hmm. or else why bother so um mistakes of course that leaders do these days in particular to respond to this uncertain times so do you think there are leaders out there they 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 acknowledge that they have been or have committed a, a mistake because what i see okay. these days is there's always the the try to find let's say a, a way out of 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 the situation which of course it's mostly just human being uh, but um, I think uh, there are very little out there that really acknowledge, yes, I have done or committed a mistake. I have now adapted. I, I've changed. And this is now the next the next step. So Yeah. So, so two things. I think a lot of leaders make the mistake of believing that, that, that having been found to have a flaw is a problem. Mm-hmm. No. The problem is not acknowledging it, right? Now, now here's the thing. You, you actually, you, you put a bunch of things together very important. There's this wonderful article that talks about the difference between an American apology and a Japanese apology, right? Here's the difference. In a Japanese apology, in American apology, and this is a little unfair, I'm stereotyping and I live here, and so I have to be careful about stereotyping my own colleagues. Uh, but, but generally it is, uh, I'm sorry it happened, and I really am sorry that I'm feeling uncomfortable about you being unhappy. 
right? Japanese apology takes the following form when done really well. Mm -hmm. I'm very sorry for what happened to you. I am very sorry that I was part of the cause. And here's what I'm doing to make sure it doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. right. Right. Now, forget the cultural stereotype and just take the kind of humor in it, but come back and say, um, which is the better leader? Mm -hmm. right. The better leader acknowledges flaw, diagnoses why it happened, and then moves on. I will trust that person because I know they're telling me the truth, right? Get in trouble by trying to smooth over a problem rather than acknowledge it. And actually a lot of people buy goodwill by acknowledging the problem and fixing it, right? And, and um, th that comes back to kind of integrity and spine, by the way, right? If you have the courage to admit when you made a mistake and fix it, you buy massive goodwill today because virtually very few people do that. And I think it has a lot to do, like like we agreed, that the that, that trust is, a, if not the biggest element between the relationship of, of human beings. Um, and of course, it comes from reliability. And uh, to admit a mistake and to show a reliable, um, let's say, way forward. I have been many times in situations where, where I was facing customers uh, and uh, they have been, let's say, overpromised, and of course, uh, trust was destroyed. So you come in into a new situation, customer relationship is destroyed, and, and you need to build up trust again. And you need to come out first, of course, with a message that nobody wants to hear. Right? There's a problem. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I can't, yeah. I can't diminish the problem now, but I can at least assure that now we will follow a certain certain way and i commit to you that we will follow this way yep yeah so trust is a game of shoots and ladders right it's hard to, it's hard to gain and it's really easy to lose um and uh, so so there are three elements to trust you said it earlier and i just want to highlight it that are all critical to leaders the first one is you're reliable right and, and the point there is i want to know that you're going to be the same person tomorrow you were today and when you change it's clear why you had to you know it's that they have to change but but there's a reason why and therefore i can predict what you're going to do next because i know why you made it why you're different right mm -hmm. second um i believe you so when you say something you do it and you mean it and you're honest about it and the third is you have my interest at heart now this last one's really important We've kind of lost an ethos that's kind of core to all great leaders, which is when you accept a position of leadership, you no longer have self-interest. It's the interest of the community you're leading, and that's all that matters. Agree. People don't believe that anymore as much as they should. Right? I had this discussion with some people I really admire, and they said, Blair, you're just naive, and, and there are ways in which I am. Um, been at this a long time, um, but but it, it is a case that, If you take the job, your job is to act in the best interest of the people you're leading, broadly defined, right? Um, and, and your self-interest doesn't matter anymore. If we could just get leaders to agree to that. Now, that, the, the reason I would trust that leader is I know they care about me more than they care about them, right? They're acting in my interest. And if they show that repeatedly, I'll go through a wall for that person. We all will. Right. So three elements of, of, of trust, not just one. Yeah. I agree. And um, I mean, 
I, I had one leader that once told me right at the beginning of my career that you as project manager, you're the only one that is uh, capable to say no, right? I mean, if there's a new demand coming in, it's not your team, it's you, yeah. you that needs to say no. Yeah. So, I mean, now as just an example, but of course you are, you are the, let's say the, 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 the grandfather, the grandmother of, of, of this uh, community and you are the one, not uh, N1, you are the one that needs to protect them and, and guide exactly. them. Exactly. And, 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 and don't get full of yourself, right, in that mm -hmm. process. I mean, it turns out that that also leads to narcissism, right, if you take that sure. phrase too seriously. But, but recognize you're the, you are the steward, right, mm -hmm. and, um, and of whatever the process you've, you've agreed to lead, you're the steward. Accept that and realize that's your only job. That's your only job, right? Um, and, or, and if, you, if you don't believe that, then don't take it. So I, to me, one of the first tests of a politician is, is it the is it the community you're representing that you care about most? If not, I don't want you. Uh -huh. Right. Same thing of any leader. We, we, now to be that's that's sounds naive because a lot of people don't act that way. But we need more to act that way, especially now. I think it's also like you said, uh, it's not that you need to uh, neglect that you also have own interests, but there comes second place, right? It's, yeah. it's the team that comes first place and then it comes your interest. Uh, yeah. And then I think uh, you have the right order, let's say. So here's the thing about it though, right? Which is if you actually act that way, you will be successful, uh -huh. right? Your interest gets taken care of. There's this old debate about, is it okay for someone to be selfless if there's actually a uh, benefit in being selfless? I don't care, right? Um, that, that's an interesting philosophical question, but frankly, they're being selfless. That's all that matters, right? Same thing here. If there's benefit in saying it's actually the community's interest that matters as a leader, and the result is you become a leader of even more important things in the future, that's wonderful because you're going to be a better leader, right? So I'm fine that there's self-interest there, but but to your point, it's it's derivative rather than the primary concern. And, and I have to tell you, if I think about the leaders in our own organization, and I think about the leaders I've known over time, the defining characteristic that causes a leader to be great in a sustained basis um, is that they they take the community as the thing that matters most. They, and they know they're going to be successful and therefore they benefit from it, but it's a second order consideration. It's not first order. And it, it will, by the way, it will cause them occasionally to do things that are very harmful to their career, but the right thing to do. And it turns out in every case where I've seen that, they end up better. And it's, I think that that also has uh, shows one other skill or, or attitude that I, I think is important to mention, which is, um, um, self-confidence as well that uh, at the end uh, it will be good right? yeah I, I don't know that self-confidence self-confidence as much as it is confidence in in the group you lead and the decisions you're taking collectively yeah um yeah in in a, back to the point right you're leading you're not you're not doing it on your own you're leading right and um and so if you don't love the place you're leading then don't lead it right if you don't believe in the strategy you've created, then don't lead it. If you don't, and, and so in part, you have to test all those things consistently and, and hold to it because it's impossible to be selfless in a case where you don't like the people you're leading. 
it's impossible to be persuasive and adaptive if you don't believe in the strategy in the first place. Right. And, and so you better, you better be sure of the things you've co-created with your team and the body you lead and confident in those. But again, you better be humble because in today's world, part of it's wrong, right? By definition, because we're entering a world we've never seen before. And therefore you've got to adapt. And if you're not humble enough to adapt, then actually, so, so confidence with a dose of humility. <laughs> I think Blair that uh, I have the feeling we could talk uh, for the next hours and weeks uh, on leadership. Uh, and normally we finish the, the session with a question. What have you said to yourself, to a younger player um, um, when he started, when you started your career? Uh, What is the, the key elements, the key journey points uh, on the journey to become a great leader? Yeah, so first piece is um, we may spend too much time thinking about ourselves as leaders and not enough time thinking about the thing that needs to get done. Mm -hmm. So for me, one of the problems with the whole construct of leadership is it's a narcissistic idea. Agreed. And, and so I think what I would say to anyone starting out is focus on the things that really matter and do something about it and leadership will follow. Mm -hmm. let, the comp, let the problem and the context drive your behavior in a way that has consistency, integrity to it, but, but fix the thing, do the thing, grab the opportunity and leadership will follow. Uh, and, and if you come back to the point about sort of, you know, how are we going to get leaders to adapt in the dynamic world we find ourselves in? That's the way it's going to happen. If they focus on the thing that needs to get done and they care about the people they're doing it for, they will find a path that works. Right. Um, and, and so in some ways, the exercise you and I are going through is useful But it's also problematic because it causes people to be too focused on themselves as the unit of action and not enough on the thing that we're trying to achieve. First point. Second thing I would say to, to young Blair is whatever you, decision you take, be sure you test whether or not it is really in the best interest of the people you're leading, the society you're part of. And if not, don't do it. Go for Leadership. The podcast with Daniel and Gerd. I love it, Blair. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you. It was fun. I love the questions. It's good to see you and uh, good luck with what you're doing. <laughs> Perfect. Go for Leadership, the podcast.